Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello, and welcome to the year 2024. Um, this is our first episode of season five of Future of XYZ. It's a super exciting time uh, to introduce a new topic, one that many of us are thinking about uh, in the beginning of the year. And so we are opening season five with a topic called The Future of Wellness. Our guest today is Arvashi uh, Bangnagar, and uh, Arvashi is both an MBA from Yale as well as the physical therapy undergrad from BU uh, up in Boston. Uh, she's a population healthcare and sustainability expert who recently released a book called uh, The Sustainability Scorecard, which we'll get to talk about a little bit. Um, but we're going to be talking about wellness in 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 its unique uh, and and ways that maybe we're not all thinking about it. So, Vashi, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, well, I want to kind of get into it because I'm thinking as we start the new year, everyone's talking about like health and wellness and meditation and exercise and nutrition and, you know, dry January and all of like the things that we traditionally think about wellness being. And I think your, you know, international and professional experience really broadens the idea of wellness. And I want to give you a chance to like, you know, obviously define what are you talking about vis-a-vis -vis this conversation in terms of the future of wellness? Yeah, uh, thank you. So I think of wellness really broadly, and I think of wellness in a very circular manner. It is planetary wellness. We are all interconnected, uh, not only just to each other, but also economically. Um, and I think what people don't realize is that their health and wellness is more tied to factors outside themselves and outside of their control um, uh, and, and uh, sort of tied to economic activities and the... Um, and the general well-being of their local area, uh, then their one-time visits with the doctor and that kind of thing. Um, so when I think of wellness, I think of cosmetics companies being healthcare companies. And I think of their R&D departments being instrumental in uh, sort of uh, taking decisions on behalf of us in a way, uh, because we're inheriting chemicals and we're inheriting outputs of these decisions uh, based on the products they create. And so we have to be really in, well informed, uh, not only about the environment we live in, but also what we're putting in our bodies, on our bodies, um, and, and our local area. Well, it's interesting when we think about, you know, wellness in this regard. Um, you mentioned planetary wellness or planetary health, and we both have these virtual backgrounds that like allude to this kind of green and healthy environment. Um, but this isn't the way that most of the planet is is moving today. When we think about, you know, beauty companies, for an example, and the skin being the largest of our organs, you know, and what we're absorbing through it. And, you know, we'll get I, I want to get to a topic that is near and dear to both of us, which is forever chemicals, which I don't know if many of our listeners are going to be aware of. But I think what's interesting about what you just said is it's it's individual, of course, and it's our choices, but also how our wellness, our health is. But it's also community level, it's financial systems level, and then it's just kind of the ecosystem of the planet and 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 nature and 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 the well being of everything. I mean, your focus, however, has been 
international and it has been healthcare for most of your career at this point. Um, what, from an international perspective, when you think about kind of what it takes, you know, and what's happening towards wellness, what, what does it take and what's happening? I think what's happening is I see a really big push and I'll, I, I'm speaking very broadly, of course, but I think that there's only one way to meaningfully extend life on earth and that's not to just decarbonize the planet. And so it's going to take a lot more than that. And people don't realize that it's not even about being, it's not about being net, it's not being about being net neutral. It's not even about being net negative. It's about uh, detoxifying our environment. So people talk about when they go, when like, so Blue Origin and all these flights, right, when they go up, they look at earth and they realize what an incredible planet it is in this darkness and how I, I think Jeff Bezos said that if even if you're not an environmentalist, it will turn you into one. Um, so I think it's really important to realize that our health and wellness is uh, is a byproduct of all of these systems working well with each other. And so what we're seeing internationally in terms of health and wellness is that we are seeing a big push. There's a great amount of consumer wellness uh, that is becoming a focus for firms in general not just CPG, all kinds of firms, uh, we're seeing a push towards more uh, more of a holistic perspective towards health. Um, and I use health almost as a technical term because I'm thinking of health the way we traditionally think about it, which is like uh, payer and provider organizations. And people are saying, no, um, there are various other therapies that can support my overall wellness. And I expect my makeup to be not just cruelty-free and that kind of stuff, but the voice of consumer has never been louder uh, on reproductive toxicity and uh, other kinds of toxicity that we inherit from our lived environment and vocal voices on e-waste. And so uh, I see a big push towards uh, not just ESG, but a lot of awareness as to the inputs and the questions coming back to firms saying, how are you going to take accountability for my individual wellness? It's interesting because I, I think that the consumer voice is very loud, especially in the Western world. Um, I think also for those of us that are in consulting and consumer packaged goods and type companies, I wonder, however, um, if it's real in the global scheme where, you know, the the majority of people on this planet live on less than one dollar a day. And, you know, like consumer voice is they're 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 surviving rather than thriving. I mean, you've obviously spent time in, in, in you know, in, in, in developing markets, but also, I mean, it, it, it's not even developing markets. I mean, in the end of 2023 and season four of Future of XYZ, I mean, we talked about public health equity with, you know, hip hop health. Um, we, we talked about caregiving as our last episode, you know, with the, the, the chief medical officer, as well as the president and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island. And, you know, it, it, Health equity, healthcare equity is is a big, huge, meaty topic, by the way, in America. So I, I, I think about the developing, quote unquote, developing world, you know, but then it's just like everywhere it's the same thing, which is like equity. So I totally appreciate that consumers have a lot of voice and we're demanding things of those companies from whom those of us with purchasing power can purchase. But mm -hmm. equity is really important in the conversation of wellness because when you think about the planetary wellness, like, you know, it affects all of us e equally or actually disproportionately affects those who um, are the have the least access and the smallest voices. So my long-winded intro, and that was a rant, but 
my long-winded intro or Rashi to this question is like, how does, how do we, what are the innovations that are happening that are delivering, you know, wellness, if you will, to the communities that are most in need? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great question. So I think I, I want to start off by saying, um, so yes, I've worked in developing markets and I won't speak for all of Asia, but I have some experience in India and I'm connected to the work that is happening all around Africa. And so what I've sort of realized is that individuals in these areas, um, they view healthcare a lot more holistically and somehow, and perhaps this is just the echo chamber that I'm a, a part of, but um, but a lot of what I hear is that there's a lot more personal accountability in these markets for their own individual wellness and their healthcare. And so they rely on their providers to provide an input, um, but they also have this like intimate knowledge and connection with their communities and the local history of that area. And they're aware of herbs and certain things that are available in India. There's a big push for Ayurveda. And of course, like it started there, but there's a big push we see in CPG markets where um, Ayurveda is starting to be incorporated into like mainstream products. Um, so those are some of the indicators that I'm seeing, you know, that that uh, kind of uh, indicate to me that uh, there's a great deal of personal accountability because there isn't the backup of Social Security and, uh, you know, insurance and that kind of thing in these markets. Um, it's interesting. So your whole uh, your whole background is in healthcare, really, um, you know, and you've been You've, you've experienced both the private sector that we're talking about a lot, but also the public slash governmental sector. What are some of the trends that you're seeing right now as we think about the future of wellness in this kind of much broader, more holistic way? Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, huge push towards health equity. And I'll speak U.S. focused first, but I'm seeing huge push towards health equity, social determiners of health. Um, people are really starting to think about data systems and what that means. So, for example, before we would combine um, health records, claims with EMR inputs, and that's still, by the way, not done in a fantastic manner. It's getting there. But um, people are really starting to think broadly about health equity and SDOH, and the only way you can really make a, a member uh, social determinants of health, right? And so, um, thank you. So, uh, so the only way you can bring that information to light such that we can make informed decisions off of it and upfront preventative care uh, to individuals, at least in the United States, is having a good picture of that individual. And that means we need to start incorporating consumer data and information about that person's environment. And so there's a lot of um, innovation that we see in the market, not only from digital platforms, but also solutions uh, that address this great need. Um, so whether you're looking at providing a solution on a slice of the pie, like racial equity or things like that, or you're thinking about a broad platform, um, there's a lot happening in this space that will make healthcare a lot more accessible. I mean, even th things like women's health, which may be uh, deprioritized in my opinion, um, but we see a lot more products coming to market. There are firms that think about uh, women's health broadly that are not only impacting uh, IVF and menopause care, but also like clinical trials in that space and how can we develop a whole solution. So um, so I have uh, I, I have a lot of excitement for private sector in, and how it's going to transform 
how government also reacts uh, to this innovation and how these products are brought to consumers. And I say consumers very intentionally because we're all patients, but we're more, we're all consumers of healthcare. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. And I, I mean, there are two directions. One that you just mentioned in terms of like the the private sector, your bullishness on it. I want to I want to come to that vis-a-vis, especially the book that you just wrote, um, and which is called The Sustainability Scorecard, as I mentioned at the beginning. I want to come to that. But I, I want to talk about the money, first of all, um, because I, I know that you've been kind of involved in sell side, payer side, all these kinds of your deals, M&A. That's what you've been doing for the last little while. And your your understanding of kind of like the the financial side of this wellness sector is is growing rapidly. I mean, I think about, you know, maybe it's triple bottom line. So people, planet and profits. But what is kind of the investment guidance? I mean, writ large for channeling funds into the wellness sector today, if, especially if you think private sector is going to lead government. Yeah, um, I think a lot of it is I think the big signal uh, and there's a lot that goes into it. But I think the big signal, if I had to say one, is total cost of care. So right now we think of total cost of care almost uh, very in a one dimensional manner. And uh, but I think the way I'm seeing the market develop, uh, we're now thinking, OK, it, we don't need to just reduce the cost of life saving medication or life saving imaging or what have you. Um, it, it's not just about access to care and delivery of care. It's about um, all of these various other inputs that the person has uh, can has available to them, whether they want to have a child to go and grow their family, they they uh, they need menopausal care, whatever it is, how divorce impact impacts mental health, and like just all of these things, we're no longer viewing humans as a cost accounting transactions sheet. I think we're finally coming to that realization, and I. Um, my healthcare insurance doesn't make me feel that way, but that's okay. That's good. <laughs> I know. And and I think that's what's so interesting is that actually, like, I realized because I actually went from being a clinical provider to being in management and working with these organizations. And it always surprised me uh, how few clinical providers actually make that jump. Um, and I think a lot of the way, the reason for why the system is the way it is, is because clinical providers of every type are, don't have a major representation in the way healthcare is run. If we did, it would look completely different. Yes. We wouldn't have, yeah, we wouldn't have to um, convince people that, you know, one certain medication has various input effects all over your body and therefore it cannot be, you know, valued in just a single manner or what have you, what, whatever the example you want to take is. Um, uh, at the end of the day, I think total cost of care is uh, a metric that's being viewed in a much more holistic manner, or it's starting to be viewed that way. And I think that's a really important leading indicator. I appreciate that. I mean, and which leads nicely to your book. Um, so the sustainability scorecard, uh, the subtitle of which is how to implement and profit from unexpected solutions, uh, published with BK or distributed by Penguin Random House. And you co-authored that with Dr. Paul Anastas. Um, and it just really just kind of came out. And you in it, my understanding as I've looked at it is it's kind of a method, if you will, for identifying where a company, a corporation is in their sustainability journey and then giving tools for helping track progress. I mean, 
along this journey. And I and I I think it's really powerful. I think it's really important. You said you know ESG before, and you know there's a lot of backlash these days. Um, but I think more and more we all realize. Well, I say we all. Any of us who has sustainability at the f- forefront of our minds recognize that we need some kinds of frameworks. But what really? I mean, you've talked about like you know your bullishness on the private sector. I mean, but what is the tie-in between corporate sustainability efforts and progress, really, and and wellness as we've defined it in the beginning? Yeah. Um, so thank you. Uh, I think health and wellness, or rather, like population health, public health, whatever term you want to use, it cannot be uncoupled from sustainability. It cannot be uncoupled from the economic activities that occur every day uh, in the markets um, and and their unintended uh, impact on the populations that they serve. And so it's about really viewing, uh, it's, it's about the E and the S and the G, but I don't want to get into the whole uh, politics of the word and that kind of thing. Essentially, the message is, look, um, sustainability needs to be incorporated into your corporate strategy because if it won't, some dinosaurs will die and others will evolve. And if you incorporate it, you will evolve because firms that have decided that they will be relevant in the next 50 to 100 years are really paying attention to the market. They're they're hearing what Gen Z is saying. They're understanding that Gen uh, Alpha is already 10% of their parents' share of wallet, is already directing all of these transactions. And they're understanding that these children are going to inherit a very, very different world. And therefore, their healthcare issues are going to be very different. Um, their risks for certain conditions are astronomical as compared to their parents. And so parents around the globe are worried for the future that their kids will have and their longevity, which is, by the way, one factor. Um, as I mentioned before, it's not just enough to live longer. You need to have meaningful life in those years. And so how is that going to happen? That's going to happen by incorporating sustainability principles, not just into your life, but for corporations to think about uh, their negative externalities and kind of reforming uh, some of some of their products and processes. And so in our book, we talk about incorporating sustainability into your corporate strategy, how that happens. And we talk about erratically. We say that you need to create products that and processes that are benign by design. And if you think that there has to be a trade-off, like if you think that uh, uh, output that a certain output cannot occur without a negative externality, you're just being intellectually lazy. I can't believe that we have over 85,000 chemicals existing and brilliant chemists all over the world literally come up with new chemicals that have never previously existed on the planet. So you're telling me we're so brilliant, we can create chemicals that never previously existed, but you can't make them better? And you can't make them disappear if, right? Yeah. Uh, without harm. Exactly. So I think that's that's a lot of how uh, it, it speaks to a lot of how capital in, is invested in the world. Yes. Um, and it's systemic. Yeah. Um, so it, because I, also, as you said, ESG hasn't risen up. It's become a little bit controversial, whatever. I mean, controversial is a stupid word. It's become political. Right. Mm-hmm. And so but like the investment dollars coming back to the money and the systems that require are required for overall wellness Right. And the governmental indicators and, and, and governance in the ESG, not just at a private sector, um, private corporate level. 
are, are important. And, and I think that's what you're alluding to, which is, you know, like wellness requires all of us to be working together rather than, you know, for, for singular interests. I, yes, absolutely. I couldn't say that better myself. Thank you. And then, so having said that, I think another thing I want to talk about is venture. So I think venture capital, interestingly, is usually a really, really small portion of people's investment portfolio in general, unless you're a billionaire. Um, and we're, I, I, I'm not referencing them right now um, in this in this generalization. But venture is usually a really small proportion of investment. Um, but it tends to have a really outsized impact on our life. So if you think about like we want to go somewhere, we use an Uber. We want to stay somewhere. We first look up what Airbnbs are really close to the restaurants we want to hit up most often in a certain city or whatever. Um, so venture has a really outsized impact on our life. And so when you think about where venture dollars are spent, um, they're usually spent in really tech-driven uh, products and solutions um, that are algorithm-based because they're high margin and that kind of thing, because th we have resources that are trained to due diligence them really quickly. Um, and therefore, what we forget about is supply chain heavy manufacturing and uh, innovations long in that space. Yeah, long lead time R&D as well. Yeah, exactly. So long development cycles, exactly. Uh, which begs the question, do we not fund long development cycle stuff with venture? Um, no, we do. We do. There's a lot of investments in healthcare and biotech. And there are a lot of learnings from these sectors that we can carry over to others that can make uh, for a more successful, and I use a more successful product and process, and I use the successful um, in a holistic, the word in a more holistic way. It's not just a product or a process that is completing its intended uh, function, um, but it's really high performance. It's not killing you slowly over a number of years. You're thinking while doing in terms so. of overall wellness. So it's wellness for yes. the ventures, venture capitalists who invest, but it's also wellness for the consumers who consume and the planet who suffers the down or or in this case doesn't suffer the downstream effects. Exactly. Exactly. So we're we're at time. So I want to throw out my always last question. And I mean, as we think about, you know, the year ahead on this, you know, very first episode of uh, 2024. Um, Urvashi, what as you think about the future of wellness as we've described it, what is your greatest like hope and what do you see like that's like the major initiative in the next 10 to 20 years? Um, I'm really excited for people to start moving towards a more holistic wellness approach. And that involves not only just connecting like, you know, all parts of the healthcare system, all the way from clinical trials to end of life and all, everything and viewing a person as a whole, um, but also for uh, incorporating various therapies um, that aren't, weren't traditionally part of mainstream healthcare um, to really uphold that person's wellness such that we're providing them minimally invasive care. Um, we're really drastically lowering total cost of care, um, but we're, we're keeping the whole person in mind and and not just you know unilateral inputs. I appreciate that. Um, well, Urvashi Bangnaga, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ uh, episode one, season five. Uh, we've been doing this since 2020. It's kind of remarkable that we're in season five, um, but I'm thrilled that you were able to join us. And everyone, go out and check out that um, uh, sustainability scorecard, uh, Urvashi's book. Um, by Penguin BK. And um, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me.
Um, and so for all of you watching, uh, make sure that you can also listen wherever you get your favorite podcast. If you're listening, you can watch us on our presenting partner, Rhode Island PBS at ripbs.org forward slash XYZ. Uh, follow Future of XYZ on Instagram and leave us a five-star review so more people can find out. Um, thank you again, Arvashi. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Happy New Year, and we'll see you in two weeks.